Blog Talk Radio. Tennis, Mr. Chuck Reese. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get in the game. And good morning once again. This is Coach Chuck Creasy, and it's another week of American tennis. And folks, do you believe that this is year eight? Come on now, how to hang in there this long? Unbelievable. I don't I don't know what the heck. You know, I was talking to a friend recently when we first started doing these programs and uh gosh, I you know, I'd like to put it all down and sort of do the transition of where I've messed up and where I've done well and and just the growth and the progress, but um you know, I'm just uh very, very happy that I've been able to stay on the air and here we go with year eight already. I'm getting ready to take a trip up to Michigan and recruit with, uh, you know, my, my assistant coach and, uh, dang, this is year 42 coaching college. And I'm only saying that because I don't know where the heck the time goes. It, it's, it's something else when, uh, you just, uh, you, you've got a job that, you're in love with more of a vocation than an occupation. But before we get started, and we've got a great guest today, and, and, and for you parents out there, if you're listening, this is an important topic. And you youngsters, you'll sort of, I, I don't know if it's going to help you quite as much, but those of you who have an inquisitive mind, we always say the most important quality of a championship tennis player is the hunger of an inquisitive mind. I know you got you youngsters out there can look up everything on your phone and get the definition of everything right now, but daggone it. Uh, if you can listen today to some of the, the wisdom that's coming your way, it's going to help you a lot. But uh, And we're going to get to that in a second, but I've got to set the table by telling you a story. So even though I've been in tennis 47 years, coaching college 42 years, I'm a about a third-year baseball parent, and my son, who's 13, we went to a tournament this weekend. And I got to tell you the the great thing. Do you know that they, he got to play six games in three days? Six games in three days, and I'm just sitting back and loving it because this reminds me of some of the junior tournaments I used to go to as a youngster. We it used to be a red badge of courage to play 11 or 12 or 13 sets in one day. We used to play two age divisions. When I got up to be 16, we used to play 16s and 18 singles and doubles. And here we go, no tiebreakers, no, 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 none of the abbreviated scoring, and it was sort of a red badge of courage. But I don't want to go there today with it. Uh, again, you sports science people out there, you're not kids anymore. But kids acclimate to what's put in front of them. It's not an abusive sport when you want kids to stay tough on a hot day in the summer. Um, our, it's pretty obvious that our kids are not developing maybe the way they should. But bottom line, my son got to play six games. It was awesome. However, I cannot tell you as a parent how tough it is for me to sit there when he's pitching 
and they them start hitting him, and then maybe one guy knocks him out of the park, and you go, oh, my gosh. And, uh, you know, you get a whole different perspective than you do with a coach. As a coach, you go through so many things, and it's not quite as personal, but as a parent, it builds up your heart. It makes you feel great, and then at sometimes you just hurt. And so the long story short, I, I want to get there. My son, we had to have a big talk on the first night. He had a bad first day, and he didn't get any hits. He got pulled from the game pitching, and then uh, he sort of – he wasn't hanging his head, but it was close. Now, it was close, but he was hurting, and I had to go through the process of saying, okay, what were the good things, what were the bad things, and sort of naming it, claiming it, and then taming it. Parents, name it, and let him claim it, let her claim it, and then you try to tame it. Don't name it and then blame it, oh, coach's fault, and then try to uh, rearrange it. Don't name it, rearrange it, and blame it. Uh, And that's where we want to go as parents. You know, you want to blame somebody else, but the bottom line on the thing is I'm learning I'm learning as a parent. I don't care how long I've been in sports. It's a completely different animal. That being said, and the goof-ups that I made just as a parent, and watching the uh, final day in the championship game, they got blitzed, and boy, oh, boy, I I wasn't such a good uh, parent sitting up there in the stands. That's all I'm going to say. I wasn't such a good parent. But the bottom line on the thing, I was was thinking about what would be a great program this week, and uh, we need to save you time. As parents, we need to save you time. As kids and you coaches out there, you might be coaching beginners, intermediate, professional, but we've got a rare opportunity today. We have Coach Gaston Murray uh, with us, and, and Gaston has been through the whole, whole gamut of being a junior player, growing up as a good athlete, playing the other sports, going to tennis and wanting to be a, one of the top guys and getting to go to college and playing pro tennis. And I, I, we're going to have him here to uh, talk about stuff and, and how this all works out. And uh, we want you to hang with us a second as we get going here on American Tennis. And uh, we'll be back in about a minute and, and talk about it.
little background history of my family. My dad was a Division One college football player at the Murray State University. He played Division One football, and he played for a coach named Frank Beamer. Now, Frank Beamer, uh, a little while back, was the coach for the Virginia Tech Hokies. But a while back, he coached the Murray State football racer team. And when he was there, my dad had the privilege of winning the uh, 1986, I believe, Ohio Valley Conference Championship. He was on that team. He was on that team. They were great back in those days. They were. And he ended up meeting my mom, who is now a nurse practitioner and owns her own family practice in Wellington, Florida. And so they became college sweethearts. After 1989, they moved down to Florida. And I was born in 1994. And three years after that, my mom was actually the one that got me into tennis. Now, those of you who know me or know my background, it was my father who coached me all my years from the time I was 8 to about 15, 16 years old. Could I jump in there real quick? I don't want to interrupt you, but why did you pick tennis? I mean, you're you're a pretty darn good athlete. Why why did you pick tennis? Well, I like to say, uh, Coach, that I think tennis picked me. So when I was at the age of six or seven, my parents actually got me to get tested because in school I was having a hard time taking tests. I didn't process information well. And so when they came to the conclusion that I had these, you know, mental capacity focus problems, I stared yeah, all, all, that, all that, all that, all that, stuff, all that stuff. I had all that too, by yeah. the way. Yeah, so, and yeah, for those of you, if you're a kid or a parent who's listening, uh, this is common in a lot of kids. So I share the story to not only encourage you, but also give you a background of what I was going through and what led me to the sport. Anyway, quick short story. Once my parents figured that out, you know, they talked it over with me and they said, you know what, we need to get Gaston into doing something that can help his mind focus a little bit better. So me and my dad went out to the tennis court. We started playing. We started learning the game of tennis. And at that time, it was just something for me and my dad to do. And then one thing turned into another. I remember even watching the U.S. Open, and I believe it was 2001, 2001 and 2002, Andy Roddick was playing Ignacio, Juan Ignacio Chela. And they were playing this incredible crazy point. It was about 20 or 30-shot rally. And Roddick was hustling, hustling, and Jim Curry and McEnroe are commentating and there was one point in that rally where they thought, like, Roddick wasn't going to win the point. And then all of a sudden he runs back a lot. He hits a slap shot right into the body of Juan Ignacio Chela. He runs down this drop shot. And then Chela hits this casual volley. And then Roddick just runs to the double sideline, hits a backhand down the line winner. And when I saw that moment, it was one of the most unbelievable moments ever experienced inside, it was like, man, you know, this guy has so much passion, this guy has so much heart when he's playing, and I wanted that. And that was a big part of the reason why I started playing. You know, I didn't start playing because I wanted, you know, fame. It wasn't because I wanted all the glitz and glam of what tennis had to offer. I think it was because of guys like Andy Roddick who worked in day in and day out and put his heart on his sleeve and he gave an example to me of why you should play tennis. And the reason is, is because you should play to enjoy the game. You should play because you're passionate. You should play because you're hungry. And from that moment, I said to myself, you know what? I'm going to give it all I got. And at the time, I didn't know what tennis was going to bring me. I didn't know that I was going to earn a Division One scholarship to North Carolina and Greensboro one day. I didn't know that I was going to go through a lot of hardships with my father being my coach from the time I was 7 to 16, 17 in high school. But I don't regret any moment because the reason why I really started playing tennis, not only just because of my mental capacity focus problems, because I knew it would give me something greater than um, myself. Yeah, uh, can I jump in there a second here? Uh, First of all, a couple interesting things you talk about. Look, uh, the ADD stuff or all that, whatever, you name it and claim it or whatever. We didn't know what that all was when I was growing up. 
And I, I wanted to say this, that we had uh, Dr. Jim Poole, uh, who's a specialist in ADD. He has a, a website called FastBrain, B-R-A-I-I-N.com, FastBrain.com. And he starts with the premise that the ADD kids are gifted. This is, instead of just dumbing them down, they go, first of all, they do things like training them with, you know, from concentration drills to music to activity to sports. But he had me read this book called, folks, this book called The Edison Gene. And uh, like Thomas Edison had 80. And all the brilliant people do, but he says you would never want a jet pilot or a quarterback who did not have ADD, you know, because they're the ones who can multitask. So the point is, parents, first of all, but secondly, the, the other thing you say it's interesting is your parents use sports to, to try to get you to focus well yes. and stuff. But, but the, the passion, you talk about the passion that Andy Roddick had, and, and again, I, I've, I've used the story very often that I was, Eric, I got to work for the great Harry Hopman, who's passionate about teaching, and, and the greatest players are the players, whether it was John McEnroe, his passion, the passion on the court, well displayed or not well displayed, whatever, but we absolutely loved Borg McEnroe stuff, and we loved the passion that is out there. And, and again, I just want to make this statement, I, I want to have go on here, but the statement that tennis in its best form, there probably is no greater sport in the world. It's 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 the most fantastic. Anybody that watched Wimbledon finals would have to be hooked on tennis forever. Yeah. Any, any youngster. But in its worst form, folks, when we dumb it down, if we use abbreviated scoring and things and use rec models for it, it doesn't inspire a daggone mouse. It will not inspire to just try to get stuff over. And anyhow, enough of that. So anyhow, so you got started playing. So your father was your your coach. Yeah, my father was my coach from the time I was seven years old. I, I first picked up a racket when I was three. However, I played other sports such as soccer, golf, and I was excelling at those. Were you, good, you were good at golf. I was good at golf. I was improving at a fast rate. But there's something in me that, you know, I knew I had to give up some things. Even soccer, it was a good team sport. But I was more of an individual sport guy. I love the fact that you can go and solve your own problems down the court. I love the individuality of the game. And that's uh, one of the main reasons I kept playing as well, because I knew that if I could solve problems on my own, if I could learn to to discipline myself to be tough enough to learn the inside, inside and out of inside and outs of the game. I would not only be a great player, but I would do better things off the court as well. So it wasn't just a transition of me just okay. I'm going to play tennis and be this great player. You know, there was something inside of me. You know, if I keep playing, I'm going to do better and things outside of the tennis court as well and excel at things that I probably didn't think I would do well at. You know, uh, we often talk about mastery more than success. I, I think that's maybe the bugaboo that's messing kids up and parents up in this, uh, you know, cell phone computerized society. Everybody's going for results before the passion, right. before the love of it. And, uh, exactly. And people get fired up. I've got a, what's the heck on my door here? It says, enthusiasm is common, endurance is rare. And I got that from the Miyagi baseball coach, or I call him the baseball whisper guy, like the horse whisper guy. But everybody gets fired up about stuff, but it's the passion in that, that keeps you in the sport, okay? So, Okay, as a junior, how when did you start playing tournaments and what kind of success? It doesn't matter what kind of success you had, but go ahead about your junior career. Talk a little bit about that. My first junior tournament I played, I was eight years old, was 2003, and it was my very first tournament. And in those days, we were playing eight-game process at the time. Oh, this, come on. Yeah, man. I know. I, know. No, this, man, this I think you played very, real scoring. Yeah, we played real scoring. This is my very first tournament. We played okay. an eight-game pro set. All right, all right. And I knew there were some tournaments that had two out of three sets. 
for intro, but, for intro. Okay. Right. All right. But this, All right. this, this tournament specifically had an eight-game process, and I remember being down around eight, four, eight, five, my first match, very first USA tournament, and I just kept competing. It was one of those things where I didn't worry too much because I didn't have experience. My dad told me that if I was going to play a tournament, I needed to learn how to develop a serve and get my first serve in. So that was my goal. So from the time I was seven years old, we were working on myself constantly, constantly. Then when I was eight, once he saw the development improvement, he said, okay, now you can have your first tournament. Quick story short, I was down on 8-4, 8-5, kept competing, ended up coming back, I believe winning in a tie break. And then I win three straight matches that whole weekend, all A-game process. The very first tournament I played, I won. And from there, my mom, especially my dad, when he saw the result, I believe he said to himself, okay, I believe this kid has a future. I think we're going to keep going with this. And at the time, he didn't know what he was all getting into. Again, he was a self-taught. He read Nick Voluntary books. He was feeding balls out of a bag to me in a, this small park, two hardcore facility. Right. So we didn't have everything. We didn't have all the grits and glam of what tennis players have now, especially in academies. But we were built on pra- passion. We were built on hard work and having the faith to believe in something that we didn't see at the time. And that's, I believe that's what really tennis is all about. I think kids today now, they get lost, especially parents, because they see talent or they see kids playing other sports, doing so yeah. well, but they forget the fact that there's a process to it. And ultimately, there's a sacrifice that has to be made, not only for the player, but for the parents as well. And when you make the sacrifice, you hunger for it more. Yes. You stick with it longer. You ride this, the up and down storm. So let's fast forward. First of all, folks, uh, you know, I messed up the intro. Though. You know, I probably had about a one-minute blip in here after the commercial, and I apologize. This is uh, Coach Gaston Murray, and we're following and talking about his career here. And for you you parents, this is really important. Already some uh, very, very good points have been made about uh, with your youngster. And, and, again, we all make the same mistakes of trying to give the kids more opportunity than they have hunger and uh, it is a balance. But, uh, Gaston, let's go forward. So you, you're moving up the ranks. You're playing in Florida, of course, which is a great state for tennis. And so pretty soon uh, you're playing along in about 13, 14. You probably start to size up. This is gets tougher and tougher, right? I mean, yes. Like you said, Chuck, Florida was the cream of the crop as far as college recruiting. I remember yep. even when I was a younger kid, I would go watch the boys' 18s matches, the boys' 16 matches, high school matches. I'd see college coaches. And that was my motivation because I knew, okay, this is where I want to be in the future. So those of you who are listening and watching parents, especially players, you have to have a vision for where you're going. If you don't have a vision for where you're going, especially in this sport, you won't make it. So even though I didn't have everything at the time, especially when I was young, I still had a clear-cut vision of where I wanted to go, and I didn't let go of that. Around 13 or 14 years old, my dad was still my coach, and we had some trials and tribulations. There there were some things where my attitude wasn't always the best. I was kicked out of practice. He got upset at me at times where I felt like he shouldn't. We apologized to each other. And then we'd have times on the court, we'd go at it again. So it's pretty hard. So it's, you, it's, you're coaching your own son. I mean, yeah, it's it's difficult. And if you're not familiar with the tennis world, you know, the parent-son or, or father-daughter, father-son relationship, those are often the toughest ones. But if you can make it work, you can uh, definitely go a long way. You take an example of the Williams sisters with Richard Williams. Right. Now, that's probably a one-in-a-million story. But it does, go, it does go to show that when you have faith in something that you can't see, you can go a long way. And when I got to high school, I played my high school tennis while I was playing USTA junior tennis as well. Do they let you play high school and junior tennis tournaments at the same time, or do you have to sit out? Like in our state we have here, 
in some in some states, if you play high school tennis, you can't play outside tournaments. What about in Florida? Florida was generous to me, and the rules worked out in my favor. I remember I was homeschooled my last two years, my junior and senior year of high right. school. So in Florida, you can play high school tennis and USTA junior tennis. That was the beauty of living in the state of Florida. I remember my friends doing it. There were some advanced USTA players who didn't play districts because they wanted to play other USTA national tournaments. There were some players who were playing mostly USTA who only needed to play four matches during the season to qualify to play districts, and then they would warm up or they use district masters as they warm up to play and get ready for states or regionals. So for me, I remember in 2011, I played the whole year, went 19-1. I won the individual state title as a junior for Park Vista High School in Lakeport, Florida. And the only match I lost was the overall state championship. So that was a great experience for me. And I don't um, ever regret playing high school tennis. You just have to weigh out your motives and, again, understand why you're playing and what vision you have for the game. You know, this is a very – I could go off on a tangent here, but I, I want to make the point very quickly. Uh, those of you listening out there, and this program goes everywhere, but if you have a state that, say, here, like here in the state of South Carolina, I think you're not allowed to play tournaments while you're playing – your high school season, so your better players to say, well, bag it, I'm not going to play high school. Well, you don't want that, but at the same time, if you're a high school coach and your best player is only showing up once a week and practicing, well, then you have a problem, too, because it just disrupts everything that you're doing. And so, you know, the coaches have a dilemma here. I uh, spoke recently to a group of coaches, and I suggested once again in the state of Texas, as a college coach, I have learned that probably the best system for player development in high school follows a program that is in the state of Texas. And I'm not running down Florida or California, New York or Chicago area, which they're all really good in tennis. What I'm saying is that they have a system where the team tournaments are done or the team part of the year is in the fall they do about a six-week season where they play maybe September, October, then they're done about eight eight weeks or something. They're done by Thanksgiving. Everything's done. So the boys and the girls both are played in the fall. Then what they do is in the spring, it's all tournament play. And what they do is they put together these great high school events, of course, to to qualify for it. Every other week they might bring in four or six teams and they play tournament tennis all spring. And then with the tournament tennis, the beauty in that is that a number five player might pop up and win the tournament. They make big jumps. Dual match tennis does not develop kids as fast as tournament tennis. In one weekend of tournament tennis, a player can just make a huge, huge jump. Yeah. For example, the young lady Coco in uh, at Wimbledon. Wow, one tournament. Wow, one tournament. Last week at the Atlanta Open, of course, it looked like uh, who broke through there, beat Dimitrov. It was Kevin King yep. from Atlanta. And and so the point is they make big jumps. You can make one big jumps. But in dual match tennis, you only grow arithmetically, but you often fall geometrically. You fall fast but only grow simple, grow slowly. With tournament tennis, you can grow exponentially. You have a breakout in one weekend, but when you fall, there's plenty of guys just lose first round, lose first round, lose first round, then you win a tournament. So the point is, is for player development, tournament tennis is much better. Folks, if you're a high school coach listening out there, I would suggest that you look at the Texas model that they have. Actually, in college, I sure do wish we had used the, the Texas high school model because it is built for player development, and uh, time after time after time, you'll see most of their top players playing. So I went off on a tangent there, but let's get back to your story. Okay, so when it came time to getting recruited, 
uh, Gaston, uh, you got to be one of the better players in the state of Tech, uh, Florida. So how did you go about it? Did you know what you're doing? Were coaches out looking for you? Not a, It's not like football, basketball, where coaches are beating the door down. Right. right? In tennis, especially during my recruiting time, it was a lot of hustle and bustle. And if I – on your back part, on, on your my, part, on my part. And you if I look back, you I just scrap, and if I look back, I put a little bit of pressure on myself. I knew once my junior year hit that college coaches were going to be looking, they were going to be coming to tournaments, and so I had to create a list of myself for what colleges I wanted to go to, what specific colleges were looking for, and I remember my dad being on me because he knew like this is our goal, this is what. We were planning for yeah. way back. And then th- there was a part of me that, that knew I didn't have to worry too much. I understood that I was a great competitor. I finished top 20 in the state of Florida in the boys' 18 division. And I didn't play you know, too many tournaments at that time or in my junior career because I maximized everything that Florida gave me. And I was truly blessed by that. So people who are – from other regions that say maybe New York or Midwest may not have the privilege of playing as many national regional tournaments as I did. But even though I didn't travel as much, I maximized every opportunity I had, especially during my junior and senior year of high school. So fast forward to my senior year, I've talked to maybe one, two coaches. Not very motivating. I consider myself a late bloomer as far as the recruiting process goes. And what happened to me was in the late winter or about spring, a friend of or my dad or uh, my friend who happened to have a dad who we were really good friends with mentioned my name to a college coach, uh, Thomas Moser at USCG. Right. Great man. And and a great coach, a a very hardworking coach, uh, knows the game, understands the game. And then – all of a sudden, the ECU coach pops up, and he started recruiting me. Right. It's a funny situation. <laughs> both right. uh, coaches, Coach uh, Heinchen, I remember his name, and Tom Sean, Bowden. Sean, yeah, Sean's good. Yeah, good man. Yeah, good both recruited me. That's, that's what happens. You, yep. you start becoming yep. a hot number. Hey, yep. there's something here. Yep. There's something here. Yeah. So my friend, actually, Danny Max, dad, Bob Mack, mentioned yep. my name to Thomas Moser, yep. and that's how – my name got on yeah. the radar for the yeah. uh, UNCG. So, so the message here, parents, here's the message. Look, this isn't like football or basketball or even baseball where you have you have some recruiting services and some of you sign up. I don't I don't care much for those recruiting services. They're trying to make a buck. But the bottom line, let me let me save some time for you here. First of all, your youngster is going to have to scrap and make connections. As a college coach in my 42nd year, I answer every email, every phone call. The best thing to do would have your youngster get on the phone and call a college coach and say, Coach, could I talk to you about this? And two things. I'm saying 60 70% are going to say, yes, let's help you out. And if they can't take you, they will help recommend you to somewhere else. If the coach says, I haven't got time, they don't answer your email, don't answer your phone call, look, they're a jerk anyway, all right? So you just weed those coaches out because every coach should want to help our youngsters get placed well, and it's a very, very competitive market out there with only four and a half men's scholarships with the um, the way things are and that the, there's so many international players coming over now. If your youngster is a good player, Make sure you make that personal connection with with uh, the coaches and personal references from look your your high school coach or your coach who trains you that's good, but what cut tips the needle for me or tips the weight for me is when a youngster has the guts to call me on the phone and say, Coach Creasy, I'd like could I talk to you about college tennis and. I will listen. I will talk to them always. And, and uh, so, parents, that's a tough one. But don't you call. Here's the thing. Don't call and say, my son's great. This. You do that, it just wears a coach out. They're going, oh, here we go. Yeah. Here we go again. So you go off to college, 
And I want to ask you a real quick question, take a minute or two here. If you could have done anything different in your training and your junior tennis, is there anything you would have done differently? Give them a heads up on what you might might have done. The thing that I would have done differently is would have changed my mindset into more of a developing mindset, a growth mindset, not so caught up in mastery over success. Mastery over success. Mastery over success. Even though I did have a successful junior career, I know I could have been better if I would have programmed my mind in a better mental state. And so, you're saying work. I'm I'm sorry for interrupting, jumping in, but working. People are usually down on what they're not up to. Working on your weaknesses and developing big strengths. Would you say that? Yes, I say that's true. And everyone has a strength. Everyone's going to have a weakness. However, you have to understand how your mind works and how your mind functions. And if you don't understand that, you won't be able to go as far as you want to go. That's just the reality of tennis. That's the reality of any sport that you play. If you don't have a growth mindset or if you don't have the mindset of what my dad used to say, failures and difficulties are feedback. Fair, that failures fair. and difficulties are feedback. Sad ass. Yeah. I say yeah, failures and difficulties are feedback. And he programmed that into my mind so much that, I remember it to this day. He said it when I was a little kid, and it's true. So if I ever had to do anything, I would develop my mind. I I, I would personally probably go to a two-year college, play a professional test a little bit earlier, develop my mind, develop my strokes a little bit more, and then yeah. maybe transition to a four-year college where my mind was a little bit more and a growth mindset. Yeah. And, you know, it's a really interesting point he brings up here. In the United States, we have the only country that our kid, our youngsters just stay in school and they go from elementary to high school right on to college. In most of the other countries, what happens are the international players are ahead of most of our American players because they, they what they do is they are always playing pro tennis and they might go play pro tennis for a year or something afterwards. Now, of course, there's an NCA rule that you're only allowed to be out of school six months after high school now because we were having 23, 24, 25-year-old professionals, failed professionals coming in playing college tennis. But there is rules on that. But if your youngster needs a gap year, there is a way to do that. You can sit out six months. You can sit out a year if you want, but you just can't play tournaments more than six months. You Get with your local coach and figure that out, folks. But, uh, again, our youngsters are a little bit behind as far as their match play. And I think that's what the USTA is trying to do. They're trying to do so many abbreviated matches. But, again, uh, a lot more rec model matches sure don't bring the passion out of our players. So you go to college. You go through the ranks. Talk about how your mentality changes from the time you enter as a freshman sophomore, junior, senior? My mentality didn't change too much. I knew coming in, playing for Thomas Mojo, I had to work hard. I knew some of the expectations. And, again, when you're being recruited by a coach, they don't give you the full ins and outs of who they are, what they're going to do. So you have to walk by faith, in a sense, because you don't get to experience everything. And, again, that it should be that way because a college coach is, is not going to lay out everything to you. They're going to give you the necessities and the basics of what their program is about. And then from there, you have to have faith in what you believe uh, or what environment is going to develop you the best. And so I ended up choosing uh, UNCG, uh, Paper Thomas Mosier. And my mindset didn't change too much. I'd say, I mean, my, my freshman year, I worked pretty hard. I was 6-4 and four in the conference. Didn't get any awards, fell short. Our team finished top 78, almost broke top 75 in the nation. That was as close as we got to in the rankings in the history of the program, I believe. So our freshman year, we did pretty good. My, my sophomore year, I had a little bit of a slump. So my fall year, I lost about four or five Maybe maybe six matches in a row. That's normal, though. Uh, we call it the sophomore blues. Yeah, the sophomore slump. Sophomore slump. Well, my dad warned me about it. Man, I, I it's don't like want the it. second lap on a mile run. The right. excitement, 
is new. The adventure is becoming a job. Right. And I didn't want that to happen to me at all, and it did. My worst nightmare happened to me. And throughout that season, again, I had to tell myself every day is a new day. I have to compete. I have to train. I still have to play my, my competitive matches against my teammates. That was a struggle. And when you're losing like that, and the college players know this, college coaches tend to lose confidence in you. Yeah. And they might say, you know what, maybe this guy isn't it. You might have to change some things up. And it messes with your mind a little bit. But I held in pretty strong. I finished my fall year of these three or four match wins and came back for my sophomore year right. and won around 59. So. What about, what about the summer, summer times? And it's pretty tough finding the right tournaments in the summer. I'd, I've always been a little bit critical. I think the USTA doesn't. They used to have a 21-and-under circuit that was a great circuit for college players. Now they have the ITA circuit, which is like a rec model. No ad scoring, two out of three set tiebreaker for the third, and daggone it, ITA guys, come on, stretch these kids. No more rec models. Anyhow, I had my say there, but uh, what did what'd you do in the summertime? As summertime far as was great for me. I, again, I lived in Florida. We had men's open prize money tournaments. Oh, that's great. Weekend. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So I was able to play about four to five of those, six of those during the summer. Smart. And I played all kinds of players, pro players, players that may have been in a thousand ATP, right. 600 ATP, current college players, right. ex-college players, juniors players. I had it all. So playing tournaments wasn't a problem for me. I never played any IT college tournaments. So I didn't have the luxury of playing the, what you call the, the rec model, the short format. Well, you were there and dumbed down. By the time my sophomore year uh, was in, they were dumbing down the, the league, if you want to call it, as far as scoring, which I didn't like at all. Yeah. But we dealt with it. We practiced over and over, uh, no ad scoring and practices. And again, that's the beauty of the sport. You gotta adjust. You gotta change, even when things don't go your way. And I was able to adapt a little bit to it. Now, I think playing with less, I hated that. Yeah, I hated, very, I very hate bad. playing with less, right? Because yeah. I knew pros don't do it. You, you, you know, and folks out there, you need to know how they start playing the less. The reason that they play less is about 20 years ago we had trouble with when they were doing no ad scoring. And you'd get down to a big point, the guy would hit an ace, and the receiver would go, let, I heard a let. And they would play it over. It was cheating. So what they did is they took on this world team tennis. Silly, silly rule. A let serve, is, it's just wrong. It's just wrong. And it, it, the whole thing goes back to no ad scoring and that the fact that a game point is worth eight. So when people get aced, they just, oh, I think I heard a let. I really am convinced that I heard a let. So they did that, and it was just silly, and it's it's just a horrible rule. But anyhow, let's go forward. By the time your senior year, uh, gosh, I remember your, you and your game well. I mean, you missed the ball about every other Thursday. You know, you, you made balls. You were tough athletically, tough physically. So you wanted, when you got done, you wanted to go out and play First of all, answer the question, is there anything you'd have done different in college if you could go back and, and do it again? College, I would have had more of a growth mindset. Same again. answer. Huh? Same answer, yes. Yeah. I know it's repetitive. I know it sounds silly, but it makes sense because you have to have faith in what you believe your game to be or it actually becomes a reality. And so even though college coaches even a lot – of them today, they're focused on winning. They're not focused on development. So if I had to do it over again, I would have been focused on developing my game and losing a lot more than worried about winning. Right. Because in college, they pressure you to win. They pressure you to do all right. kinds of things because it is Growth a day. Mindset. They want true. their program to be recognized. And, again, it's a right. business. But at the end of the day, you have to decide well, what's really best for you. It's education versus entertainment. If you're a college coach out there, high school coach, look, I have a luxury. I'm at a stage in my life where – I understand this completely, and as I look back, 
growth mindset for the players and you get caught in the trap. But once again, it's the same answer. So after college, you go out and you're playing some, you're trying to play some professional tennis. Yep. yep. I played an ITF circuit tour, played for about a year and a half, up and down, just always going through qualities in the singles rounds, especially. If I had to do over, I'd probably play more doubles because my hands were getting getting my transition game was right. better. Right. Sometimes it's, Tennis players, it gets stubborn. They want to keep oh. doing the same thing over and over again, yeah. and that's what I was doing. However, after my college years of tennis, I can say that my game has gotten better because I was able to train my body and do the things that I wanted as far as developing my mind as opposed to in college, you're in a system. You're in a system where sometimes coaches are not going to allow you to develop the way you should I'm not saying that my college coaches didn't let me develop. No, no, but it's just the system. It, it, it is, I would say, I, I can speak for some of the people who have played college tennis, that if they had to do it again, they probably wish they had more of a structure where it was they were developing and they were the growth getting, mindset. Yeah, growth, growth mindset. mindset gaining confidence from the coaches. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, the message becomes the same at every level, growth mindset, over results and parents look I, I know how hard it is i i will i come away from the baseball tournament oh, i wish my son could have hit two home runs or something like that and you want him to win and everything but in the end of results i've always told players coming up that no one remembers you in tennis for your losses they only remembered you for your successes nobody's going back and saying hey this person who won the tournament they lost first round, first round, first round, the three previous tournaments. And that happens all the time. It basically the tennis gods humble you before they let you they they let you go forward. So you know, that that pretty much is it. So uh you've already talked about it a lot, but it's we're still winding down here. Um any tips for parents or young youngsters out there you've said growth mindset and things like that but save them some time here what if you could the growth mindset is number one but do you have a good number two or anything else one of the things that i would recommend parents and especially players if you're listening is to write down a mission statement so a mission statement is what you say to yourself and what your vision is for your life and you say it every day before you start your day. So, for example, I say my mission statement in the morning, sometimes in the afternoon, but mostly mornings. You have to have a vision for where you're going. And I was recently at the boy, uh, sorry, girls' uh, 14th National Clay Courts releasing about a month ago. And I'm seeing these, these girls play and they're practicing and you can just tell by their body language what they're focused on, that they're all there for different reasons. But many of them don't have a vision for where they're going. They might not have a mission statement for what they're saying to themselves every day. So quick to the point, d develop a mission for your life. Uh, don't uh, walk around the tennis world blindly because you will be lost if you don't uh, take care of the essentials of not only your tennis game, but your tennis mind. Uh, you obviously have a good mission statement. I'm so glad. You know, you've been working for Jay Berger, one of my former players. Uh, last couple of years, you've been training by kidding with one of some of the young junior Riley Opelko. Yeah, Riley is working with Coco Golf. Yeah, some of those. So some of those players. But let me ask you this: um, What is that it factor or the X factor that maybe those those players have it's it's pretty much that they have a growth mindset they have a vision of where they're going they have a growth mindset and the people around them have a growth mindset as right. well right jay has a great tennis mind he has a vision for where he wants to go in tennis right. even bigger than just the professional level i see right. him work day in and day out he treats everyone as if they deserve to have the best tennis lesson. They deserve to have the best tennis mind and analytics around them. So it doesn't matter who you're coaching or who you're working with. You have to give it everything you have. You have to work day in and day out because there's no guarantees. You know, uh, 
my mother, I, I've often talked about the, the loaded language she used, but one of them was, the wise man walks with the great and the small in equal dignity. Oh, that's what you just described with Jay Berger, and he does a fantastic job because he has a vision for his life and for the people around him. He treats everyone the same, works with everybody the same. But that mission statement is so key, folks. And I'd like to just say this. There's a player that I had named Kent Kinnear also at, at Clemson when I was coaching there years ago. And I, I wanted to say along the way, I always tried to talk about why some players made it and some players didn't. All I can say is that when he would win, his confidence would go up. When he would lose, it would stay the same. So he would win and he'd go up. Then it would be lose, 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 lose. And he was just as good as that first time when his confidence went up. So you can see the graph here. Then he would win, win. The confidence would go up, up. But then when he'd lose, he would go forward from successes, but never backward from failures. And if you could do that, most people go up when they win and they come down when they lose. But this game is is, is a daggone tough one. All right, so any any last things here? We've only got a couple minutes here. Anything else? Just thank you for being on the program today, Gaston. Thank you, Coach. I enjoyed it. It's uh Great to be on here and great to be in Charleston as well. This is a great city, and I'm looking forward to doing yeah. some great work with you. Oh, gosh, man. we're <laughs> it, It's go, it's going to be fun, and I'm getting a big kick out of every day that we get to work. And grateful, grateful for every, every day we get to work. And uh, with you parents out there, again, Circle of Influence, coaches out there, the Circle of Influence is the people – around you just the people help that person in front of your circle of concern the circle of concern is big you want to change the world overnight but it's it starts with that person around you and we'll wind it up i want to remind you that you're in the process of winning or losing every day of your life and it has very little to do with their win or a loss we Come